Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So, as I said before the break, uh, the title of this talk is uh, What Will You Do With Your Wild and Precious Good Karma? And I'm sure most of you know the, um, the line that I'm paraphrasing from uh, Mary Oliver's poem, uh, The Summer Day. What will you do with your, what do you plan to do? Tell me, what do you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? But I want to talk about your wild and precious good karma. <clears throat> You're probably familiar with the, uh, the famous Taoist saying that uh, life is made up of uh, 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows, the fabric of life. And here we are uh, being asked to open to the whole show. And I uh, wanted to um, share with you uh, this topic, the title, uh, because um, I'm integrating the joys and sorrows in my, uh, in my heart this week, and it's um, the the one way I can hold it all is to uh, just be so grateful that there is a practice and there are tools and there's a way to hold it all uh, without being confused or overwhelmed or feeling that you're on a roller coaster. Well, we are on a roller coaster. Uh, it's called life, but to see that uh, we can learn to ride the roller coaster and actually even um, not only survive the ride, but enjoy the ride, and that there are um, tools and practices and teachings that allow us to do that, that is uh, extraordinarily good karma. And uh, first I'll, I'll share with you um, the joys. Um, I've been away for the last couple of weeks, uh, and um, the main thing that uh, uh, I did, along with Jane, uh, my wife Jane, tomorrow is our 32nd anniversary, and we still go away and have good times together, uh, really good times together. And... Uh, we um, spent some time with my first uh, and m- main of one of two main benefactors um, who I've spoken of many times here before, uh, and that is uh, Ramdas, who lives on um, Hawaii, on uh, Maui, and uh, if you're my age, you know him, you know his, his name well. If, you're, uh, if you don't know him, uh, just a brief bio, if you're old enough, uh, then you know, and if you're not, you might know, not know, that uh, this book changed my life and thousands and thousands, a whole generation, uh, and is a reason that um, I'm here and that Spirit Rock is, uh, is in Marin County and uh, uh, moving from uh, the 60s from uh, the, the flower 
uh, children of uh, turning on, tuning in, dropping out, to opening up to um, consciousness. Um, Ramdas, just a very brief bio. If you if you aren't from, how many people don't know Ramdas? Aren't familiar with Ramdas? Okay, so a few. It's worth it then to share. He was a Harvard professor um, by the name of Richard Alpert who was a professor at the same time as Timothy Leary. The two of them got into um, psychedelics and turned their students onto psychedelics, for which they, were, they have the distinction of being the uh, only two professors to be fired from Harvard for um, corrupting their students. psychedelic uh, scene, and Timothy Leary, uh, who famously coined the term uh, turn on, tune in, and drop out, um, and Richard Alpert uh, did explorations into consciousness, and just seeing how far they could, they could go, and if, they, if it's possible to uh, come up and not come down. Unfortunately, they always came down. And uh, it led um, Dick Alpert to go to India where he met his guru, Neem Karoli Baba. Um, This is uh, Neem Karoli Baba, also known as Maharaji. And he was to uh, change uh, Richard Alpert's not only his life, his name, but uh, give a transmission of love that uh, came through this book, Be Here Now, Remember Be Here Now. And like uh, many people, when I read it, I saw there was uh, another way for all of these explorations of consciousness that I'd been, uh, been playing around with to go to a much deeper place of connection. And... Um, I went out in 1974 to um, Naropa Institute, which is now Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado, where because he was there that summer, uh, and uh, that was the, my first encounter. After carrying this book around like a Bible for about three years, I finally was going to meet him, and uh, that was the first of many, many times... Um, where he was going to uh, change my life in a number of ways. In that first encounter, I asked him about meditation. I'd been doing TM and a few other things that that I'd read about, and he wrote, and uh, he said, why don't you go check this guy Joseph Goldstein out, who had just come to Naropa, was teaching that first summer, and that was when I encountered the Dharma. Um, Many... I was thinking before I met Ramdas this last time and was going to be spending time with him, thinking about the mm, half a dozen or so conversations that were to each one change the course of my life. One, I'll share with you one other one where uh, I was invited to teach a, a class in, uh, in uh, Dharma, and I went to Joseph Goldstein, my other benefactor, and to Ramdas and saying, well, what do you think? Should I do that? And Joseph said, yeah, it's, it's a good idea. You know, why, why don't you do it? Um, he said, uh, um, better you than the other guy who they were thinking of. And he said, go ahead, you do it. You know? um, and gave me some pointers. And then I asked Ramdas, and uh, he said, well, why don't you, at the end of the, the course, um, give them an experience of intensive practice and uh, lead a weekend retreat? I said, really? He said, yeah, you should do that. And that was when I first started teaching not just classes, but intensively, which then was really the direction of my life. Anyway... I spent a, a year with him in New York. He had this, um, this uh, scene. He's a, uh, from the Hindu tradition, and, uh, very, and devotion is his path. And uh, went back and forth trying to figure out 
is, am I a bhakti, a devotional practitioner, or I'm a Buddhist, and I couldn't figure out which. And, uh, and, uh, but he was always a, a big part of my life and helped me. He said, don't worry about picking your path. Your path will choose you. You just keep on showing up. And over the course of these 40 years now, um, he's always been a touchstone for me. And as if you know anything about him, he's the most brilliant um, communicator, uh, had the gift of gab, could spellbind an audience, um, especially with his, with his dharma communication. The middle pages of Be Here Now are the Dharma rap that changed that changed a, a generation and it's kind of like wild, crazy, psychedelic everything. And he had this amazing gift of communication. Um, he was also kind of curmudgeon He was brilliant and then he could be very human, human, and he would talk about that all the time, which was kind of one of his, his endearing qualities. Um, but when he was not in the way, he, the, the Dharma just flowed through him in an extraordinary way. And then in uh, 1997, he had a massive stroke, and um, he lost his gift of speech. He could... He can speak, but he speaks slowly. Uh, his everything else is still in there, in in intact, and he's as brilliant as ever. Um, but the the pauses when he speaks are time to meditate, and um, it took him a while to get over the loss. And he writes about this. He has a beautiful book. Um, on aging and illness and dying uh, called Still Here, um, as opposed to Be Here Now, Still Here, uh, and about him working with his stroke and getting, uh, um, learning how to see it as part of his practice. Well, what happened through the years, and particularly since his stroke, is although his magic of communication is um, uh, is no longer there in the same way it was, he's just gotten lighter and lighter and lighter, and he is, um, as he says, loving awareness. He is loving awareness. His last book is called Be Love Now, which is what he is. And I'll show you case one one picture is worth a thousand words um, this is uh, Jane and uh, myself along with his uh, assistant his right hand person uh, Dasima who is today in Marin having a double uh, she had a double knee replacement today so I want to dedicate the merit of our coming together to her but uh, this is Ramdas now and uh, I don't know how well you can see it, but the, the light just kind of uh, comes right through. He is, he's like his, his guru. There's a picture of his guru uh, above, and his guru, uh, for me, Neem Karoli Baba, whose picture I have in my bedroom and right by my computer, uh, is all about love. He said to people, uh, he said, if your, your practice should be to love everyone, serve everyone, and remember God. Uh, and he has morphed into his guru, uh, minus the, the powers, because Maharaji had lots of powers, but uh, his power is just this power of love. So it was uh, pretty amazing. Maybe I'll just actually... I don't know if this goes out after a while, but I'll just keep it until it goes out. Uh, It was pretty amazing just hanging out with him for uh, the week, and we got to spend a lot of time. 
and his, cur- his, his curmudgeon side is no longer there. And I just was, Jane and I were just bathed in love. And it's kind of, he loves everybody, so it's not like it, you're, you're special, but you feel like you're special, right? And he, I really got that he got me. He, he, you know, he was very interested in all the things that I'm involved in and all. And, and when he would say, I really love you, you know, when your, your teacher, your benefactor says that and you really get it, I really love you. Um, it was, um, it's still with me. There's still a, a, a glow there and it's quite wonderful. So I'm, I'm still glowing from that. And um, trying to integrate some sadnesses uh, this week that probably many of us uh, have been trying to integrate. Uh, one is uh, Robin Williams, um, who is just this beautiful, beautiful being. And somehow, somebody who had everything, and yet there was such pain in his mind and in his heart that he couldn't go on. And it's not for me to judge. Uh, one can, and when, you, when you think about it, you, know, you can say, oh, well, gosh, how could he do that? You know, how could he do that and leave people behind? Or, oh, he had everything. But you don't know what's, what pain people have. And you can only, I could only imagine, since he loved, he was so good at loving, how much pain he must have had to say, I need, I can't go on anymore. And so it's been really, there's been a real sadness. He just, I mean, he was an amazing guy who he just had, every, you know, if you've read everything, all, the, all the, the reminiscences about him, he just had such a generous heart, not, a, not an unkind bone in his body. And I, I used to Im- imagine what would it be like to, be, to have a mind like that? Did you, have you ever thought about that with Robin Williams? He's the one person that came to my mind like, that must be a very different reality to have that mind so brilliant. And there's a price to pay for it, I guess. So there's a real sadness with that. And, of course, there's also a real sadness hearing the, what's happening in Missouri and all the craziness and all the anger and all the pain and all the hatred and sadness and um, and from Ferguson the mind can go to Syria and Iraq and North Korea and Sudan and wherever and just how to wrap my mind around it all has been the koan for me. Here, being bathed in love and then opening up to so much pain and sorrow, whether it's uh, Robin Williams or Missouri or uh, wherever. And particularly when I thought about coming here here we are, or I was at, at Spirit Rock uh, doing some teaching this week with some uh, beautiful gathering of, of Dharma friends from, from around the country. Uh, at Spirit Rock, this amazing meditation center, here, coming here, and here we are so blessed in this, one could say this, ivory tower of a, of a reality 
while there's such pain and suffering and sorrow out in the world, how to hold that all? How, when I, when I think about um, somehow meeting up with Ramdas, my life was, um, uh, I was walking through minefields in my 20s before I met him and Jane, my wife, we, we both shared how little twists or turns could have had us going in very different direction. But somehow through that obstacle course, we were led to good friends, consciousness, support, practices, and here we are in this amazingly blessed life. How could that happen? How did that happen? And I was, it, it boggles the mind. You know, the, the Buddha says, don't try to figure out karma too much. It's one of the things that will drive you crazy. It's one of the four imponderables. How things happen. This is, this is from the Buddha, the, the Blessing Sutta, the Discourse on, on Blessings, the Mangala Sutta. I'll just read a little bit of it. Mm. To be reverent and humble, content and grateful, to hear the Dharma at the right time, this is a blessing supreme. To be patient, visiting with spiritual people, to discuss, and you can put in there, practice the Dharma at the right time. This is a blessing supreme. How it is that somehow, when I look on my life, how fortunate to read Be Here Now, or to um, be living with the Beatles. You know, Paul McCartney is giving a concert tonight. I think it's, and it's the last event at Candlestick Park. Believe me, I was torn. <laughs> last month I saw Paul, uh, Paul McCartney. Oh my God! Yeah. And then I saw Thursday night. Uh, <laughs> I saw him a few years ago uh, there, and he was out of sight. But for me, the Beatles were a- as much that lineage as, as Be Here Now and, and the Buddha. Um, how, how fortunate, how amazingly fortunate, somehow to be facing in the right direction. Now, as I contemplate this, it's easy for feelings of guilt to come up or um, helplessness or feeling, why, why me, why us? How, how, could, how could I be so fortunate and others not? Or be immobilized by the suffering that's out there and just get smaller in that confusion. It's an easy way for the mind to go. How can I let myself take in all the good fortune that, that I've had? But if you're small or feel guilty or feel undeserving, or somehow don't use that good karma that's come your way, oh, what a shame. What a, what a, a double uh, misfortune that you don't use the opportunity because your heart is so overwhelmed with either um, guilt or... Unfeeling, undeserving. 
Because the world needs your consciousness. The world needs your love. It needs our goodness. So, we can be amazed by our good fortune or by our good karma. Amazing grace, as the song says. And reflecting on this extraordinary good karma that we have. What will we do with our wild and precious good karma? In Buddhist teachings, as perhaps some of you know, uh, one of the reflections is the um, amazing good fortune to come into a human birth. It's said to be the optimal plane of existence to wake up, even better than being born in the deva realms. Because in the deva realms, you can just kind of sit back and loll around and say, oh, everything is cool, but you're not motivated to wake up. And reflecting on the preciousness of a human birth is, uh, is one of the motivators to practice. And maybe I'll, I'll share with you a, a couple of teachings on the precious human birth. It's in the Tibetan practices. It's not just in Tibetan, but it's, it's in Theravadan too, but particularly Tibetan uh, teachings focus on what are called the four mind changers that motivate you to practice. That is uh, karma, cause and effect, that what you sow, so shall you reap. Um, The defects of samsara, that is, it's not going to be the big brass ring that's going to do it for you. And there you can get hooked on looking for true happiness in the wrong places the fact of that we are limited in our time here, impermanence and death, and also the preciousness of a human birth. Here's a little bit of a teaching. This is from uh, uh, Dingo Kensei Rinpoche, one of the great masters. From the point of view of one who seeks enlightenment, it is far better to be a human being than to be born even in the heaven, heavens of the gods where there is nectar to live on and all wishes are granted by the wish-fulfilling tree, where there is neither fatigue nor difficulty, neither sickness nor old age. We have now managed to be born into such a state as the human condition. We have encountered the Buddha Dharma, an exceedingly rare grace. We have entered the path and are now receiving teachings, an additional extraordinary good karma. But if we are unable to practice them, simply listening to the teachings will not in itself liberate us from samsara and will be of no help to us when we're confronted by the hardships of birth, death, old age, and uh, disease and old age. Birth, disease, old age, and death. If we do not follow the doctor's prescription when we are sick, then even if the doctor sits constantly by our side, the pain will not go away. So it's one thing to somehow have good enough conditions. To be, bo- to be born a human is exceedingly rare. The, the image is a turtle that pops up once every hundred years to the surface of of the water from the depths of the ocean, and there's a yoke, a wooden yoke on the surface, and the chances of that turtle popping up in that hole of the yoke are greater, supposedly, than being reborn human. You might think, wow, that might be stretching it. Now, just consider you have more living organisms in your mouth right now than have been human beings since the beginning of time. This is true. And in your stomach, too. 
There are more living beings in your stomach and in your mouth than there have been humans since the beginning of time. Mm. Let your mind wrap around that one for a little while. It's exceedingly rare to be born a human, to be born a human and have good conditions. Here we are, and for those who, I know there are people who listen from from far away, and who you're listening, I, I know a few of you, uh, you also have those good conditions. But here we are coming to Berkeley, here in the Bay Area, to just take a, an evening to sit and develop our spiritual lives and not worry about food, not worry about if we'll be in danger, not worry about um, hatred coming our way, at least from unknown sources, that is pretty good karma on the big scheme of things. To have good conditions and be interested in developing a deeper kind of happiness, amazing. To be able to have the opportunity to practice even more amazing. This is exceedingly rare. Now, you can't explain everything by karma. I just, uh, in case the mind says, well, why did I deserve this? Remember, I said it's, uh, you'll go crazy. And what about the people in Ferguson? Or what about the people in Iraq or Syria? First of all, not everything is explained by karma. There are accidents. There are um, natural disasters. Karma is one of five different um, sources of events happening. Um, But if you look backwards and say, oh, what did I do to deserve this bad thing happening? That will that will just lead to more and more confusion. But if you see, wow, okay, this is my life. What do I do now with this opportunity? Because what I do now will affect what happens ahead. Uh, that gives us some a, a deeper kind of a motivation. And as we have seen, bad things happen to good people. Look at Robin Williams or... So circumstances aren't everything. Or Ramdas having his stroke. As he said, his, his guru stroked him. And he has learned more through that, truly learned about how to open up to the whole show in a way that he never could have before. As he said, Maharaja used to say, oh, suffering is grace. Oh, suffering brings me so much closer to God. That's a a powerful teaching. The the co-author of his book, uh, Be Love Now, Rameshwar Das, who's just come to to visit him um, and be with him while his assistant is over here. Um, Last year, his um, 14-year-old daughter was, uh, was hit by... Uh, a car, um, uh, uh, an old woman, 73-year-old woman, uh, hit her while she was riding a bike and his daughter was killed. This is Rameshwar Das had been practicing for years and years and years. And he, this is his, what he is learning, how to work with this. It's, and he's, you go through all of that pain, and I write about in Awakening Joy, one of my main inspirations, this, this friend Nancy, whose daughter took her life when she was 14. And uh, it's in the chapter on, on opening to, uh, to the difficult as a path to joy. And it took her years to go through her pain and grief, and now she is this being of light who helps others who've gone through what she goes through. So it's not that bad things don't happen to you because you're doing, you have a spiritual life, but 
practice can give us the tools to somehow open up to everything and not be completely overwhelmed by it. As Joseph Goldstein, uh, the benefactor, says, anything can happen at any time. Anything can happen at any time. There's no guarantees in this world. But to have the capacity to meet whatever life is giving us and not be completely overwhelmed like Robin Williams must have been and to see it's possible, it's possible to integrate this as well and not only get through it but transform it into compassion and understanding for the suffering of others. This is the gift of practice. Nyosho Kempo, a great Tibetan master, we are not practicing for ourselves alone since everyone is involved and included in the great scope of this perfectly pure motivation to benefit others. Whatever else we might do is secondary to that. And if we cultivate this good heart this altruistic, unselfish attitude, then all strife and struggle will naturally be pacified in us, purified, transformed in us, and become beneficial to others through contact with that good heart, which we, the bodhisattvas, strive to embody. So I just ask us to reflect for a moment. Um, Probably some encounter has gotten you to come here on a Thursday night. Maybe reading a book like I read Be Here Now. Or maybe hearing somebody talk. Or a friend who seems to have found something that is very curious and interesting to you that's made you see, well, what are you into anyway? that has somehow turned you in the direction of greater and greater consciousness and love. How did that happen? That chance encounter? Who knows? However, that friend or that person whose book you read or that talk Something in that person came through them and touched you. Isn't that so? And in the same way, your practice, your bringing a little bit more consciousness into the world, a little bit more love into the world, a little bit more letting your your goodness shine through is the greatest gift that you can offer this world that is so crying out for an end to its suffering. So you're not practicing for yourself alone. If you see it in that context that when you read about Ferguson or Syria or you hear somebody in such pain like Robin Williams and realizing, oh, maybe what I can offer is just a little bit more consciousness and kindness into the world. That can be my contribution. Your practice has a very important rippling effect on everybody in your life and adding to the consciousness of this planet. So I just um, invite you to go inside and reflect for a few moments uh, on, on something. First to uh, reflect on 
who touched you or what has maybe even initially just the beginnings, if that's where you're at, or if you've been practicing for some time, what's touching you that's turning you towards connecting more and more with the goodness right inside of you? Maybe your benefactor or benefactors or dear friends, good friends, or book or author. And just reflect as you do on the good karma that you've had, that somehow you've heard that and it's touched you. And you said, maybe there's something here. Maybe this could give life meaning. And you've heard that call or you're starting to hear that call. Amazing grace. And just first reflect on that good fortune. Maybe it's inspiring you to say, I think I want to go for this. And whether you think of it this as being Buddha Dharma or Vipassana meditation or just opening up to all the goodness or the kingdom of heaven inside of you, whatever you call it. And just reflecting on your good karma. And then reflecting on how more and more, if you keep on developing all of those noble, beautiful parts of you, the Buddha or the Kuan Yin, or the Christ right inside. What a gift that can be to everyone in your life. You might reflect, if you've been practicing for some time, what are the rippling effects of your practice? Or what could be the rippling effects of your practice? if you keep deepening your understanding, your love, your wisdom. And if you can just envision that, just feel the wholesomeness of it. What a good thing to do with your life to bring a bit more consciousness into the world, a bit more love into the world. What a good thing to do with your wild and precious good karma. So I would hope that you, as you practice whatever your practice is, um, see it in that context and see this very precious opportunity that you've been given to be a human being, been born into good conditions and have exposure to tools and teachings and practices that can keep on developing all the gifts that you've been given and to see it as your gift to the world. Kind of changes things from, you know, oh, do I have to sit today? Do I have to meditate today? To, oh, I'm going to deepen my practice to share with everyone, whether it's sitting on the cushion or whatever your practice is, ah, this is a gift. So we can take some time if there's any questions.
questions or comments? Here. Here, Andrew will bring it to you. Thanks, Andrew. And hold it right next to your lips uh, like an ice cream cone. Thank you. I, I just wanted to say thanks for this talk tonight. It meant a lot to me. Um, the reason I'm here, strangely, is Ram Dass, um, in a weird way. Mm. And it was a long journey. But um, uh, I read Be Here Now like 25 years ago when I was in college. And um, I, I kind of followed a similar karmic trail, I think, as even though I'm a generation behind you, but it was more than more Grateful Dead than the Beatles and more Ken Kesey than Ram Dass. But I knew about Ram Dass, and, and I kind of spent a lot longer in that minefield, and, and, it, and it was a minefield, and I kind of spent a couple decades dancing through it, and about six months ago, I went through kind of a dark period in my life, and I kind of wondered, you know, what, you know, um, and at that dark period, when I wondered if that path was really something I should be on, out of sort of the darkness, Ram Dass, um, I, I read an article, him mm-hmm. talking about how to meditate. And it was reading that article that, and wanting to meditate like that with other people that brought me here. And I had no idea that, that you had any connection with him. Um, and I've been coming here for five months mm. and it's, yeah, it's really amazing. Mm. And, uh, and it's made me realize I've been on kind of the same path all along, but it needs to be more about not just in my own head. It needs to be about service mm. and, and, and giving back mm. and, um, and thanks a lot for tying all that together for me. Mm. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks. And sometimes you have to go through that dark period, whether it's if you're lucky for uh, for a, a few months or a year. Sometimes it's a decade or two, and there's no uh, there, there's no wrong or right way. It's just the Dharma unfolding in you. But the amazing thing is, no matter how far you go down, if you've seen the light, there's something stronger than all the confusion that has been calling you all along and somehow you're finally able to hear it. Ah, wow. So, welcome. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you, Eric. Anything else? Yes. Um, Since I've always thought that karma was the end-all, be-all, Will you explain the other four mm. manifestations <laughs> that affect our life? You said accident. Mm. Um, would you explain the other four, please? Okay. And you can look it up. You can Google this. But I'd rather hear it from you. <laughs> <laughs> in three minutes, the other things that, that explain everything in the world besides karma. Sure. Easy. Well, actually, and I, I'm not sure I remember them all. One is accidents. Accidents happen. Uh, another, natural disasters. You, you can't say, oh, it was the, you know, the, the, the people's karma in, uh, in, in, uh, in Indonesia for that, you know, the tsunami or whatever. It just happens. And keep in mind that if you look if you think in terms of more than one lifetime, it makes things a whole lot easier. And it, whether you believe in that or not, it doesn't matter as far as, you know, it, it, what is, is. But, it's, but having that understanding, um, you see the journey in a much bigger picture than just one little slice. Um, natural disasters, accidents... Um, what's called bile, or uh, your body going through its particular its particular things. You know, why, you know, Suzuki Roshi would uh, get cancer, or Ramana Maharshi, or, you know, these great sages or saints, that the body follows its own laws, and it's it can't, it's not that everything is explained. Oh, this happened because you did this. So that kind of takes a whole level of blame off off the hook. And uh, I can't remember the fifth, but something like that's that. pretty good. 
There's a, a great essay by um, P.A. Paiuto, P-A-Y-U-T-T-O, uh, and a few uh, on, on karma and all the other, the other four. Any last comment before we let go? Just briefly to add to this discussion from a different tradition that I've read, philosophy, um, there's also a possibility of world karma, and I don't know if that exists in Buddhism, but just food for thought. Mm-hmm. There is, I mean, and one could see, actually, you know, the Dalai Lama say, says, you know, world systems come and go. And the way I see it, for instance, and I've talked about it here, as I mentioned uh, before the break, I'm, I'm very uh, connected or involved with climate change and seeing on a collective consciousness, uh, as Andrew Harvey says, we are in a, a dark night of the species and that our whole evolution of consciousness as a species is going through this tension between uh, as one friend puts it, a race between fear and consciousness. And this is the classic, the classic uh, dynamic of, of this plane of existence. And I see this whole process, one way to hold this whole process, is uh, humanity's collective consciousness. Will we wake up in time? All we can do is the best we can do and do, do our part, individual parts, to come from as much love as we can. Not fear, not they're the bad guys, although it's re- easy to get into that, but, but how much we love life or how much we care, and that's magnetizing. And this is what we're called on, to be agents of more and more consciousness. So I, I very much agree in, in, in that that way to hold it. Uh, what, what holds it is the wider, you keep on widening your perspective rather than saying, oh, that happened to them because they did this or this, uh, this city or whatever. You keep on widening, widening, widening your perspective because it's really impossible to see from a, from a smaller vantage point. And so if you just see that's what equanimity is. It's all just coming and going, coming and going, and a, uh, and a movement towards more and more awakening if we're facing in that direction. So let's uh, close with a very brief loving kindness. Just going inside and one more time uh, reflecting on how fortunate we are whatever circumstances in our life and whatever measure of suffering we might have, there's something good happening to have good like-minded friends, to have ways to hold our sorrows, to learn more and more to open our hearts and just appreciate that and see that cultivation as your gift, and wish yourself well. May I open up to all the goodness inside and learn to share my love well. May I see through my fears and confusion and transform them into compassion and understanding. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.